this is the very first episode of 2018 of the Lament Configuration. Uh, my name is Greg Knox, and I'm joined, as always, by the Mallory to my Mickey, our resident body count girl, Reoffend. Hi, Greg, and happy 2018. I am in my natural habitat with coffee in hand and hoping that everybody has the same New Year's resolution that we do, which is to watch more horror movies in cinemas this year keeping that industry alive yes absolutely so it's the first episode of 2018 it's also the very first video nasties episode of 2018 and because it's the first one it's a very very special one for us because we're going to cover probably the most well-known video nasty in terms of popularity of the film itself but because it's a video nasty show Ria will you give us our usual warning Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this podcast for one entire year now and the warning hasn't changed. It has varied from time to time, including that Fear Factory intro that I did, but here's the usual warning. Warning, the following broadcast may contain spoilers, extreme language, violence and topics considered graphic or adult, not for those of a sensitive disposition. Okay, so the theme of our show today is American supernatural horror films, of which uh, the most well-known, by far, is dun-dun-dun, The Evil Dead. So, Rhea, you have history uh, reviewing this particular film, don't you? I do indeed, because um, the way that Greg and I met were through some mutual friends through Croydon Radio, as Greg used to have a show on Croydon Radio and he used to do guest appearances with one of our very good friends, Thomas Dennett Cook, of Reviews from the Outer Rim. And um, one of the first reviews that I did um, was Evil Dead with Tom. And uh, it's been a long time since I have covered this, so I'm excited to do it again. It's, it is an absolute classic and one of my favourite horror films, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice change to review a film that's actually good for a change, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, of course, uh, this is directed by Sam Raimi. Now, if you don't know who Sam Raimi is, uh, why are you listening to this show, first of all? Um, But second of all, um, he's directed, uh, obviously, the first three Spider-Man films. Um, He also directed Drag Me to Hell, which is quite fun. Quite enjoyed that one. And uh, a slightly more less-known Sam Raimi film is a film called A Simple Plan, which is like a crime film. It's sort of... I would say it's quite similar to Fargo. Um, So that's another good one as well of his. Um, So, Rhea, um, for the... Well, if anyone doesn't know what the synopsis of Evil Dead is, um, (laughs) let them know. Well, you know, here's a, in a nutshell, very short summary. Five friends travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. So it is a possession film and it is in a cabin in the woods. Yeah, now it's quite interesting that you say that because... I mean, the best way to describe it is that it's a Cabin in the Woods film, but, I mean, that didn't really exist at this point, did it? So how would you describe it other than a Cabin in the Woods film? I mean, it is like the ultimate Cabin in the Woods film. It probably, um, Cabin in the Woods, the later film, wouldn't have been here had it not been for Evil Dead, I would say. Um, I guess it's... uh, possession film much like um the exorcist was but set in the woods how would you describe it yeah so you've got these weird disparate elements so you've got possession you've got haunted house 
Uh, you've got zombie, I guess, sort of. Yeah, it kind of is a zombie film as well, but I would liken it more to something such as The Exorcist, personally, but definitely does fall into the zombie category as well. Yeah, and you've got, I guess, well, Supernatural. I mean, Supernatural is kind of like the main kind of category, I guess, that this falls under because, you know, the evil in the film itself, it doesn't have like a physical manifestation that it actually is. I mean, it possesses different things, like the forest and the people, but it's not like a monster movie, for example, is it? No, and I mean, you've got the Book of the Dead in it, the Necronomicon, um, which is legendary and has become sort of made this into a cult classic. You've got Bruce Campbell and this like kickstarted his career and popularity after that. I mean, the sequels made him into like a main feature of the film as a character. And if anybody's seen one of my favourite zombie movies, which is called Dead Snow, Dead Snow really reminds me of the premise of this film as well. But with Nazis, of course. Yeah, but with Nazis. But it is, uh, I think that is an amazing film, but there are so many similarities to Evil Dead. um, That it's just, you know, Evil Dead has inspired so many different types of films, including probably found footage films with the way it's been shot, sort of whizzing through the forest and the trees, maybe even Blair Witch, I would say. That's actually very interesting. I'd never really thought of it like that before. But, I mean, you could be right. I mean, there's a lot of handheld footage kind of camera work in there there's not actually any you know home video or anything like that but yeah there's a lot of uh ha- um as i said handheld camera work in there um yeah, the way I mean, that the film is shot is amazing it is really. amazing it's so creatively shot on a low budget and the practical effects are awesome but still really low budget i mean this was made for fifty thousand dollars um and made a lot more back and um for what they what they had to make this with and the way that they did make it which was very just sort of um like i say creatively shot where they i think they tied cameras to different devices and just had them kind of you know whizzing along through the forest to get that sort of effect where the demons are creeping up on the house uh, it just really works with the film and it nothing like that had ever been seen before, which is why I mentioned Blair Witch, because it does kind of have that feel to it. Okay, so you've mentioned that this is obviously a very low-budget uh, American horror film, independently made, very independently made, I should say. But why is this one so much better than a lot of other films that came out around this time or even earlier? Why does this one stand out so much, in your opinion? Um, For me, I think it's just that it's so um, creepy. So even though when you do watch it now, I mean, I really enjoyed watching this film again. I've got it on DVD. I've seen it many, many times. Um, But it still stands up as a scary, very creepy horror film. I think part of it is down to the actual possessions themselves, like transformations, even though, like I say, it's not exactly realistic anymore because we could do it so much better, like with effects wise. Um, The voices when they're possessed are like really creepy. Um, There is also that um, renowned scene um, which probably should have been cut out which is why this film was on the banned list um, as everybody knows which is the tree rape scene which is very dark I mean it could have been cut out but I think 
when um, Raimi made this, he said that he wanted to have it in there just to be kind of controversial. He did think about taking it out. But I think that scene probably made this film sort of a renown on the horror scene and it really drew attention to it. So he probably made a wise move leaving it in there. Um, otherwise, without that controversy, who knows, maybe it would have gone under the radar. Yeah, I mean... Originally, the story of the Evil Dead is that um, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and the producers of the film, they made a short film called Within the Woods, which I've not seen. Where have you seen it? I haven't seen it, no. I didn't know about that. Um, I have read many sort of um, descriptions of what Raimi was thinking at the time, but I didn't know about the short film beforehand. Okay, so he made Within the Woods. It was like a 30-minute sort of shorter version of what would become the Evil Dead. It's got Bruce Campbell in it. It's also got Ellen Sandweiss in it, um, playing sort of very similar characters. And I believe, I may be mistaken, but I believe a similar scene to that one, the tree rape scene that you referred to, is in that film. So um, I think it was all an idea that had already existed before the Evil Dead was made. So um, in terms of my question to you though i mean to me what kind of makes this stand out is yes it's got a very low budget but there's so much creativity in this like in terms of like the way it's shot the different camera angles the way that the camera moves just simple little things like i mean if we take the opening shot for example where we've got you know that first person perspective of i don't know the demon or the evil within the woods you know, mm -hmm. moving through the woods, like watching, you know, the five people like, you know, driving in their car up to the cabin. And I've never seen anything like that in any other film. There's been no other films that I've seen that's used that kind of shot before. It's yeah. just, it's just unbelievable, really. It is. It's just ingenious. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this really did stand out. It's um, continued to influence films to this day. Um, and um, it just, yeah, it looks like a, a lot of fun to make and completely different. Mm. I believe it was Stephen King that um, was really blown away the first time he saw this in 1982. And he wrote a glowing review of it in Twilight Zone magazine. And from there on... Um, Raimi had the leg up that he needed, so to speak. I mean, when you get a kudos from Stephen King for your film, I guess it's all go from there. Yeah, definitely. I would say that had a lot to do with it. Absolutely. Um, I believe also that um, Peter Jackson says Evil Dead is one of his biggest influences. So. Yeah, very true. And like, especially in a Brain Dead, I would say. Yeah, which I also reviewed for Croydon Radio, so most definitely yeah. have done my homework on this yes, particular absolutely. aspect of horror. <laughs> absolutely. Um, one thing, just before we talk about the film itself in more detail, I mean, the one thing that kind of stands out to me is that if you watch a lot of low-budget kind of horror films, I think what kind of ruins a lot of them is quite frankly there's just too much talking in them so if you've got low budget obviously you can't hire the caliber of actors you need to give good performances for the most part so you've got people who might be okay given slightly wooden readings of dialogue 
and you don't really care about the characters that much as a result of that. Whereas with this, you kind of get introduced to the characters in the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes, but then after that, it's just a total roller coaster ride, isn't it? Yeah, it's just amazing. It's like I say, the actual possession scenes are pretty terrifying, and the voices. There's one part where um, I think it's Linda has like a little girl's voice, and she's like, all the sort of possession voices are very sort of mocking and provoking in some way, um, like really menacing, just kind of um, poking fun at um, you know the the people who are still human who potentially can't stand up to something so evil and unpredictable, something that's already dead. Um, and it's just amazing the way that they do that, or the way that this demon just kind of mocks them and plays with them, just like they're really enjoying antagonising them um, before they're going to kill them and stuff like that. So I really love that aspect of it. I think it's just very scary. Mm. So going on to the film itself, so I've already mentioned really big fan of like the opening scene and the way that's shot. And then after that, they go into the cabin. Now, I've watched this film, um, I've watched it a couple of times in preparation for the show. Um, I watched it just, you know, as is and with director's commentary by Sam Raimi. And they said that they wanted the inside of the cabin, like at least to start off with, we've got weird stuff hanging from the ceiling to represent to almost be similar to like the texas chainsaw massacre that was like their kind of homage to that yeah so the production design on the whole i think is very very impressive yeah it's very cool um it's all set in tennessee i believe mm. um yeah and the location is just perfect for it and the sets it's just amazing i mean they don't really use that much space they just use the, the the cabin with a couple of rooms and the woods but it's just used so well yeah now one of the things i would say is a strength of the film is that with a lot of horror nowadays when things happen people feel they have to kind of explain kind of what's going on or they feel that they have to almost justify it because well it doesn't really make any sense whereas a lot of stuff that happens in this is very very confusing and it's very chaotic like so for example you've got a scene very early on where you've got cheryl who is played by ellen sandweiss who's very good in this um where she's just drawing pictures and then all of a sudden like it's like her hand gets possessed and she starts drawing like what is the necronomicon although yeah. i don't know it just looked like a box with a sort of a bit of a weird face on it so <laughs> i don't know that was kind of a bit weird but um yeah i mean it literally makes doesn't really make a lot of sense if you think about it because it's like well, why does this happen but i yeah. don't know i think it adds to the film it totally doesn't matter and even like with you know the necklace as like a symbol like towards the end, I thought they never really explained the necklace that much. And then when I read up and um, did a bit of research about this, apparently the necklace was supposed to have like a bit more of a part in the film, a bit more of backstory in that. But they ended up just kind of not focusing on that and kind of going with other aspects. So it makes sense that it was there for a reason. But then actually, when you've watched this film, it's not really that relevant. But it doesn't matter, like you say. It just kind of adds another thing to the film. Yeah, and you've got the evil book itself, because um, one of the uh, themes of the show today is like evil objects. Um, yeah. So in this case, we have the uh, very, very iconic Necronomicon, Book of the Dead, 
which um, I've figured out actually should be your name because <laughs> you're like an encyclopedia of horror, basically. So, Book of the Dead, Necronomicon, that can be your new nickname. <laughs> well, and I am bound from human skin as well. So, you know. <laughs> it's very fitting, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Obviously, in this type of film, you've got people kind of unleashing things through their own incompetence. So, yeah, they kind of uh, unleash the evil in the forest, uh, which is represented by something coming out of the earth with like a shining red fluorescent light coming out of it, uh, which I thought was uh, quite a nice touch. I'm not going to lie. And um, this film made like all of the news in 1981, and it must have been absolutely terrifying. I still find this scary now, and that's even when we know how films are made and how all the effects work and everything. But it must have been terrifying back then. I bet people were really shocked. Yes, and uh, speaking of shocking, you've already kind of mentioned it, so... Um... What happens really next after that is, as you mentioned, probably the most infamous scene in the whole film, which is the tree rape. So, mm. yeah, Ria, what, what were your thoughts on that? It is really shocking. I remember the first time I watched this film, um, just thinking, you know, no, it's, that can't be where this is going, because it's just really bizarre, because it is a demon, like, um, you know, kind of... Um, animating the tree so really it is an evil force so it's as if it could be like you know a possessed or humanized demon so if it was something that was more of a monster figure or a human figure I think they wouldn't have got away with it in this film but because it's just tree branches so it's a living object but it's not something that would normally be able to do that it seems like they can kind of get away with putting it in this film in that way and it's i, I was really in disbelief the first time sorry because i was like well you know surely that can't be what they're trying to sh portray in this film but it totally is and after you realize that there's no other which way that that's going um it is shocking but at the same time it is very creative like you say it's different um, it's not really that graphic because it's like you say, it's not like a human form of that. Um, so it's kind of, it's like just about crossing the boundaries without going too far, I would say, but it's still shocking. Um, do you remember the first time that you saw that scene and what you thought about it? Oh God, this must've been years ago. Yeah. So I'm quite old, everyone. Um, so just to, I don't know, I can't even really remember what it was, but I, I heard about the film before I saw it. So I was aware that there was a scene where that happened, but it is very, very eerie even now because, and this is another great thing about the film is the sound design. So that's both the score and the use of sound itself. It just works really well. And you've got, I think they use a lot of, um, reverse shots where you've got the, the branches kind of grabbing her arms and her legs and things like that and then you've got the uh, very phallic branch going in between her legs and stuff like that now i didn't really know why it was going on the first time i saw it and i was like well are they doing it just to do it um yeah. just because you can but i suppose if you think about it it kind of makes sense if you think about who gets possessed when they get possessed and I suppose, more importantly, who doesn't get possessed, i.e. Ash, then yeah. I guess this is kind of like their way of possessing Cheryl. 
is they penetrate her body. Yeah, so it's like, say, it's less graphic than having, say, a humanised demon or a monster, because trees are thought of as fairly harmless, you know, Mother Nature, things like that, but it's twisted round into, like, a scary, unnerving, demonic sort of thing. So it's like, um, it, yeah, it is fairly graphic way of um, possessing her and then she is then the human incarnation of that that then passes it to the others so um, I mean let's think about it if it was like a possessed burial ground which I think is what the premise is then I guess trees would be what would be affected by this so maybe that's where the idea came from that the trees were growing in the grave or in the possessed burial ground and then they pass it to her and she walks into the cabin and takes it with her. And then you've got, uh, I guess, the scene where she actually becomes possessed, which um, I remember when you were on Offer Reels, you talked about that. And it's a very cool scene where you've got them doing, was it like um, where they're, they're trying to guess the cards? Yeah, um, I, f I forget what the quote is now. Uh, oh, Jack of Clubs, it's something like that. And, um, you know, and she starts to transform. Um, so, yeah, it's really cool, really cool transformation. Yeah, and the makeup effects are really good. If you consider sort of how low the budget is of the film, I think they work really well. Yeah, they sort of, it's very cheaply done, like you say, with like kind of normal. So I don't know if they use like spaghetti or something weird like that. I think it was porridge oats or something. And they like use that for a lot of different things through the film. It's just very sort of low budget, but very effective looking. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, what happens is, uh, is very, very, uh, well, thinking about it even hurts now, is that Linda gets stabbed in the ankle with a pencil right on the Achilles heel, I think. So just below the ankle. And it's oh. like, even thinking about that, I just say it really hurts. Yeah, and then she sort of says, one by one, we will take you. And she says something like, you have pretty skin, give it to us when she's possessed. It's really crazy possessed voices. I am really amazing prosthetics as well for like what they worked with. Mm. Like, join us. Lots of that. Yeah, it's it's so cool. It's like I say, the, the voices when they're possessed for me and the way that they mock the characters, it really makes it like scary. Um, a lot of the time as well, you know, when the dark force is moving through the forest or around whatever part of the film it is, there's this, this like heartbeat sound, um, which gives you the sense of this dark force, but you don't actually know what it is. So all we know is that it's moving very fast and it's alive because you can hear the heartbeat as if it's like first person perspective. Um, so that's a very cool thing that I don't think had really been used that much in films before as well. No, or since, as I said, and like, uh, what I really like, I'm a huge fan of like tracking shots. And um, near the beginning, I would say about 20 minutes in, there is a really good tracking shot which takes place outside the house looking in through the windows. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, really cool. Like, you know, it just goes to show, and this is what frustrates me about low budget horror films today, is that they're all just so lazy and they're just so boring and they're just so, they're just shit, quite frankly. Whereas if you have imagination and you have creativity and you're willing to kind of experiment with stuff, you know, you can come up with something like this, which is a lot of fun. And that's the one thing I would say that this film is, is fun. Yeah, exactly. I can imagine that they had a lot of fun making it, but 
the actual results of this film, the very first one, is not at all comedic. And I think it is difficult to make something on a low budget that is a serious horror film that can still stand up and be taken seriously, like, years later. I mean, for 1981, this is fantastic, I think. Yeah, I mean, you say that, but I think there are comedic elements. It's not comedic in the same way that the following films were, but I still say there's a lot of slapstick kind of humour in it, particularly where you've got Bruce Campbell sort of slapping his girlfriend. Like, that's (laughs) not supposed to be taken seriously. And when, you know, he's having all the fights with the deadites kind of, you know, near the second half of the film. Yeah. Yeah, Surely, I don't think it meant to take them very seriously. No, I don't think so. I've got, like, an interesting fact about um, low-budget effects. Um, Apparently, for the demonic eyes, they had contact lenses that were really thick, like glass, which were um, put on the actors to give that demonic eye effect. And they took like 10 minutes to put in. But then they had to be taken out. Like they could only have them in for 15 minutes because the eyes couldn't really manage to like sort of get any air to them when they were in. So that's like a low budget way that they did this. And it was essentially like putting Tupperware over their eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've tried wearing contact lenses before and it's just the idea of touching my own eyes just freaks me out, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, and um, then, you know, the camera effect that we've been talking about, um, the steady cam that was like shaky, they kind of nicknamed this shaky cam. Right. That gives this effect um, that we now consider sort of a fan footage sort of effect that that obviously blew up later on and was really popular. Yeah, it's a camera tied to a log, basically, with two people holding it and literally just running. (laughs) Yeah. Which is just amazing when you think about it. It just looks so effective and creepy. Yeah. Now, I mean, I remember when we talked about Island of Death, your exact quote was, this film is fucking relentless. Well, this film is pretty fucking relentless too. It really doesn't give you much chance to breathe at all, um, which is good, because that's kind of what you want in a film like this. So we've gone from Cheryl becoming possessed, and then she ends up in the cellar, to mm-hmm. then uh, Shelley becoming possessed. Uh, now, it's quite interesting because for anyone who maybe hasn't seen this film, but has seen maybe the later Evil Dead films, where Ash is obviously a very prominent character and he's very heroic. He's got all the cool one-liners that he throws out there. Um, he isn't really like that in this. He's, um, well, he's a bit weedy and he's a bit of a coward for most of it. Yeah, I mean, they developed that um, personality for him later to have him kind of rising up um, and becoming, you know, because he was popular in the film, but then they made him into this kind of heroic figure, didn't they, later on? And that's when it became sort of more comedic. Yeah, I mean, I think what happens, and this is actually kind of quite clever, is they play with your expectations almost, because you have this character called Scotty, who is a lot more kind of of a dominant male figure where he is kind of taking the lead a lot of the time. Like he makes them play like the tape recorder for the book of the dead. Um, You know, he kind of goes into the cellar and stuff like that. And Ash is, as I said, he, you know, doesn't really get involved when people first start turning into demons. Um, So yeah, it's a slow kind of build 
where Ash kind of almost has to kind of then start sort of being a man Hulk, so to speak. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I think either that was just something that they decided later on that he his performance made him stand out and people would want to see more of him. So they reversed it so that he then came back with more strength. Or they wanted to play it that way so that... Um, you wouldn't expect that he would be the one to be the sort of final guy. <laughs> yeah, because obviously this is sort of when the slasher film was blowing up. So you had like in 99% of slashers, you had the final goal. So having the final guy is a very, very different thing. Yeah, so they really did break new ground with this, uh, <laughs> as that tree branch did. <laughs> well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, literally. Yeah, touche. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, in this film, as I am body count girl, we have four deaths, but they happen twice, actually. So it is eight deaths, if you think about it. You might not agree, but I think it's eight. Yeah, I don't agree with this whole, they die twice, so it counts twice. Um, I think a death is a death. Doesn't matter if you die and then turn into a zombie or whatever, and then you get killed again. It's just, you, you die, and that's it. But <laughs> well, that's no, how you want to do it, you know, hey. Cheryl gets possessed um, by the tree, and, and then she, you know, dies. And then Shelley gets possessed, and then she comes back, and then she gets chopped up with, like, an axe. So that's three, because if you think about it, Cheryl, Cheryl is alive, then gets possessed, so she's dead and put in the cellar. And then Shelley is possessed, so she's died once, but then she gets chopped up when she's the possessed version, so that's twice she's died. So that's three times... And then Linda gets possessed. <laughs> so yeah. that's four, because she's technically she's died, because she's then become a demon. And then demon Linda then eventually gets decapitated, so then she's died again, so that's five. And then eventually... Um, so I think whilst demon Linda is being um, killed, Cheryl's antagonising Ash by saying, kill her if you can, love a boy, which is quite funny. And then Scotty... Um, dies from evil tree injuries so that's him becoming possessed but then he comes back as a demon um and then dies eventually when spoiler alert the uh book is burned and then so does demon cheryl who was in the cellar the whole time she disintegrates as well so that ends up being eight but really it's just four people it's just that they've been alive twice so <laughs> kind of confusing but very very cool <laughs> Yeah. Um, the infamous melting corpse scene, um, like I say, being cheaply made, this is probably like one of my favourite facts. It was made from loads of different things, from porridge oats or oatmeal, as they say in America, to cockroaches. Um, and like they're all of the mush coming out of the melting corpse's skull. They had porridge, snakes, marshmallow strings and Madagascar cockroaches, which they borrowed from the Michigan State University at the time. So that's how to make a low-budget uh, melting corpse scene, <laughs> which is amazing. Like I say, one of my favourite facts. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, as you said, yes, there are four or eight or however many deaths you say there are in the film. 
Um, but the deaths aren't really sort of the center point of the film itself. It's more about kind of what happens to the different characters when they become possessed, you know, when they have to be killed, um, things like that. So, yeah, I think, and also, I mean, I do love like the whole full body dismemberment thing. That's the only way that you can kill them. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, at one point, Ash does pick up the infamous chainsaw, which later becomes so relevant in the sequels. Um, but in the first one, there's not much chainsaw action, but he does pick it up and then he can't quite bring himself to uh, use it on Linda. Um, but, you know, that idea is kind of planted in there. And then this as a franchise is just so famous, so well loved. And of course, we've got the new TV series, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is very popular and very awesome. Um, and then the remake of Evil Dead, which was a few years back, which I personally thought was awesome. I know some diehard Evil Dead fans hate it, but I do actually like seeing that and it gives a whole different um, angle on Evil Dead. And for me, it's very scary, but I know some people hate it because it's not really like the original. Um, but yeah, so much has come out of this very first film um, and, you know, kudos to Sam Raimi because he worked very hard on this and um, he deserved it, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as I said, he's become very, very famous as a result of that, just from this and Evil Dead 2 mainly, I would say. Um it's interesting because um, on the next show, we're actually going to discuss the remaining Evil Dead films that we haven't talked about yet. So it's Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness and the remake. Um, so I won't go into too much kind of detail about them at this point. I'm going to talk about them on a future show. So, um, so yeah, but however, what I'll say, and I kind of don't want to spoil this, but I feel like I have to, is of the different Evil Dead films... I say this is my favourite one. Now, I know other people say the second one. In fact, a lot of people say that the second one is better. And that's fine. However, I mean, I get that obviously this one has a lower budget. Um, some of it is probably a bit creaky nowadays and stuff like the big scene at the end where uh, the two remaining deadites, they, you know, they start to disintegrate. And it's done through claymation, which reminds me of Trapdoor, for anyone who's uh, uh, familiar with Trapdoor. I used to love Trapdoor. that. I used to love Trapdoor. But... I've actually got that on DVD as well. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love the fact that everyone in Trapdoor talks like that. <laughs> like they're from the country and they've got a Trapdoor. <laughs> yeah, so no, it reminded me of Trapdoor mainly because it just would. But even then, same, yes, it's same probably, sort of yeah. era, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm even just, though I'm, I'm going to check when Trapdoor was made because it's like probably being made in like studios parallel at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it'd be funny if it was happening like literally around the corner. I know it wasn't at all, but yeah, that'd be quite amusing. Oh, uh, 1984 for Trapdoor, well, I think. There you go. So Maybe they were inspired by this. Apart. Maybe they like they wanted to make a, a safer version for kids of Evil Dead, and that's how Trapdoor was born. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know if it's that much safer for kids. It's like I'm sure there's stuff in there. I haven't seen Trapdoor for years, but like I'm sure there's stuff in there that is probably very very risque. That when you were like six, you probably wouldn't get. That if you're an adult, you're like, wow, this is no no way suitable for children. What are you talking about? 
Well, they, let's face it, they've both got a trap door in with something down there that you don't want to uh, see. And they've definitely both got like sort of dead skeletons in it because there's that character called Boney, which is his best friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Amazing. This is, yeah. <laughs> discussion of the evil dead has turned into a discussion of trapdoor. <laughs> yeah. So cool. But yeah, going back to the Evil Dead, like, I really like the scene where, you know, it goes very, you know, claymation and the bodies start decomposing. It's like, yeah, obviously you could do it better nowadays with CGI, of course. But I don't know, there's like a certain charm to it, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, this film never really needed to be remade, but like I say, with the scope of special effects and possession films now, it was effectively remade, but pretty much completely differently actually um and still terrifying and still brings something to the plot and the story um so if if you view them as like two completely different films with like sort of semi-similar plot i think they're both quite valuable it's just that the first one had so much impact because it was all new back then so well if you want to know my thoughts on the remake listen to the next show that's all i'll say um so just before i wrap up the review um a couple of scenes really quick things that i really like because i'm in awe of the camera work in this film because it's so good um there's a shot which is from like the floor and it's when uh ash is dragging linda's body along the floor and it kind of follows from the floor it's really cool and then you see like um cheryl in the basement stuff like that massive fan of that shot there's a really cool shot from behind ash's head and it goes almost like 180 degrees over to the front of his face that was really awesome so cool and um very random thing that i thought again it doesn't really make sense it's sort of very uncanny in a way it's the scene where ash sort of tries to touch a mirror and it's almost like he's putting his hand in water which, yeah. again, makes no sense. But it's kind of like, and we're going to talk about this with something like The Beyond later on, where it's like the world is just it's chaotic and it's very dreamlike and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't abide by rational. That's it. It's completely irrational that you yeah. would put your hand into a mirror and it would become like water. And it, it's like, fuck, what the hell is going on? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that were, I've been watching... Uh this amongst other films this week so that would explain my weird dreams this week once again (laughs) see it's this show's chaotic influences clearly yeah because actually because last night i had a dream that i was in a building that was being demolished around me and i needed to escape and it was quite like stressful i woke up like oh thank fuck that wasn't real (laughs) well it sounds very stressful just hearing it <laughs> so thanks, Evil Dead. That's it's right. kind of Evil Dead's fault. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. So Hellraiser, you know, this, you know. <laughs> it's to be expected. It's all in the job, isn't it, as Death Count Girl? <laughs> yeah. God. Well, when you watch the number of horror films that we do, it kind of makes sense that we'd have really fucked up dreams. The thing is, I have fucked up dreams too, but I can never remember mine for some reason. <laughs> uh, I know. My memory just sucks in that way. Um,. Do you think Ash dies at the end? No. Okay. Doesn't. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. It's just that, Do you? Um Well It's a bit open ended really, isn't it? Because you see like the force attacking him very violently and smashing through all those doors, um and things like that, and then it just hits him. Well, not literally, but you know what I mean. It's just it comes He screams, doesn't it? Yeah. 
So, and then you've got Evil Dead 2. And again, we're probably going to have this discussion on the next show, so I don't want to spoil it. But it's like, what is Evil Dead 2 in comparison to the Evil Dead as well? Mm. So it's like, was he supposed to die? Is he dead? Is he not dead? What's what's going on, you know? Um, okay, well, let's save that for the next show then and everyone will have to tune in for that. But it's time for me to ask you the question this time, since you always ask me. But oh, okay. Would this be a video nasty, Greg? No, I don't think it is a video nasty. Um, Why? Well, it's not sleazy. I mean, there's a couple of bits where you've got nudity... Um, it is very violent, but it's almost hilariously violent. It's not sadistically violent. This is kind of a difference for me. So it's not sort of leery kind of way, look at this violence. It's ha-ha violence. That was very Alan Partridge, by the way, what I just did. <laughs> Aha! <laughs> Aha! <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> That's what we can call that kind of violence in the future. Alan Partridge violence. Yes. Aha! <laughs> Yes. Um. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. I mean, she gets raped by a tree. Come on. Yeah, but we've seen loads of rape, haven't we? Is it really any worse than, like, it's definitely not worse than I spit in your grave. It's not worse Sharp than... Sharp tree like... branches go up her vajayjay. Come on. I mean, yeah, it's for me, it's a video nasty. Just for that alone? Yeah. Uh... Somebody okay. also chews their own arm off. Yeah, but that's nothing, really. <laughs> it's nothing. It's just a that's tis nothing. but a scratch. Yeah. Tis but a scratch, regarding to Greg. Okay. Well, for me, it's a video nasty. Um, Greg is a lot less affected by this, everybody. So, <laughs> yeah. I... Add, add this to the notes. It's a 1 1 on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't help, obviously, that I've, this is like the sixth time that I've watched Evil Dead sort of for this show. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like familiarity, you know, kind of dulls you to these sorts of things. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just. I know that seems really controversial, but I don't know. Yeah. I didn't think Here it was... on in, your yeah. your nickname is the Necronomicon. <laughs> is that because I'm dead inside? Yeah, you're dead inside. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well. So what what's next well, on I the mean, agenda? Well, on that cheery note, what I would say, um, I mean, obviously, because the film is so well known, it's available in the UK, of course. Um, it's available in multiple different versions because that's just how this works. Um, now, the version I own is the Anchor Bay version, which is really good. Um, I know you've got this on DVD as well, haven't you, Ria? Uh, yeah, I've got the Anchor Bay version as well. Um, it's uh, quite old now. It's in this. It's like a double cardboard sleeve, I believe. I ordered it off Amazon a long while back when I was at uni, so... Cool. Well, I mean, I don't know if that version's still in print, um, but Sony have released, you know, versions of this film, of all the sequels. There's a box set you can get of the first three films in it as well. So, I mean, of all the films we're going to talk about in this series, it's the most widely available. And, um, yeah, it's great. It's a classic, isn't it? So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I always kind of wish that I got the box set, but for some reason at the time they were only available separately, so I bought them all separately. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's had it a long time, so hanging on to that one. Awesome. So yeah, if you haven't seen Evil Dead, for whatever reason, yeah, check it out right now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, um, so that's Evil Dead, and the next film that we're going to talk about is similar in a way to the Evil Dead in that it's an American supernatural film. Um, whether it's as good as the Evil Dead or not, I'll leave it to uh, you know us and Rhea to discuss. And it's The Boogeyman, or alternatively The Bogeyman, if uh, you prefer that. <laughs> or indeed, apparently it has the alternative title of Spectre, not the James Bond film. Um <laughs> Because, like, Boogeyman makes it sound like he's having a really good dance. Yeah. Much American. Yeah, it's weird. So it's either you're the boogeyman, so you're, like, having a good boogie. He's the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Or he's the bogeyman, and he likes picking his nose. So... <laughs> Either way, it's not really suitable, but uh, everybody knows what a boogeyman is, and it's a man or a creature that's very creepy and supernatural so that's what we're going to talk about yes and this is directed by Uli Lamel who is a German director um, his most famous film is not actually this it's a film called Tenderness of Wolves um, which I've not seen but has been re-released by Arrow and actually played Fright Fest a few years ago um, mm. however more recently he's uh, his film's let's say, have not been very good. In fact, there's a film of his called Zombie Nation, which I believe is in the bottom 100 on IMDb right now. So, uh, yeah, mm. very unfortunate. Fall from Grace from Mr. Lamel. When uh, was that out? Is that like this year? 2005, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think I've vaguely heard of it. Yeah. Probably better off not hearing about it, to be honest. <laughs> no, you'd be better off listening to the song called Zombie Nation instead. Okay. <laughs> will do so so yeah do you want a synopsis yes please okay so this was actually made the year before the evil dead it's a 1980 film um and the synopsis is through the reflection in the mirror a girl witnesses her mother's boyfriend's murder uh, essentially what i've realized is that this is not the best film it does have 4.5 on IMDb db somehow i guess it's kind of quirky and silly and likable in a way but essentially a lot of the deaths in these films that we're going to talk about now are through general household objects <laughs> yeah Try, trying to make them scary which uh can and can't work at the same time because it's not really that scary they're just common household implements <laughs> yeah now similarly to how i started the uh, evil dead review um how do you categorize this film because there's two different kind of ways you can categorize this and i'm curious as to which one you're going to choose okay well the, f the thing that struck me about this film is that it's very amityville style so it's kind of like, I say, possessed household implements, um, a little like Supernatural, a little kind of, not really Exorcist like Evil Dead is, but more Amityville horror. So that crosses like possession and um, haunted house together. So it's more inanimate objects. Um, how would you categorise it? So, yeah, so I agree there's definitely an Amityville Horror influence in there with the possessed mirror and things like that. Um, however, what you also have, and, you know, leads to the way that this film is categorised, is this film came out very soon after Halloween. So you have a lot of Halloween elements in there. Like, you have a prologue, 
you have a point of view shot of a little boy carrying a knife you have um, a lot of point of view shots generally happen in the film you have teenagers dying for no reason pretty much that have no purpose to the central plot other than just to be killed um, mm. with knives or other weird objects so it's not a slasher I would say it kind of is more of a supernatural horror film that has slasher elements I would say yeah, I mean, I guess you could think of like The Shining in the sense of um, a building and inhuman elements that are possessed. Um, I guess there, there could be that kind of similarity, but mostly Amityville Horror is that kind of possessed house, but it's, in this film it's transferred to the objects. But like I say, I feel like you can't really take it that seriously because these are like minor household objects that aren't really that scary. <laughs> No, I guess not. Um, however, I mean, I kind of like this film. It's not very good, but it is sort of fun and it sort of has that kind of weird kind of European horror element to it where stuff happens that makes no sense. Yeah, that, it, it is very likeable. I agree. Yeah. Um, have you seen Oculus? No, I haven't. Okay, so basically Oculus is another film about a killer mirror. Um, however, that one works very differently in that the mirror kind of affects the way that you see the world. It doesn't <laughs> literally turn red like it does in this film and kind of get set on fire or all the other <laughs> weird shit that happens in this film. <laughs> um <laughs> So anyway, um, in terms of the actual plot itself, um, it's a body count film because it's got the slasher element. Um, so uh, the first death is well, well uh, I, I've got so I've got nine deaths for this, so it's reasonably high. Yeah, absolutely, quite high. Um, and the first death is well, it takes place in the prologue, as I said. So um, the main character is a girl called Lacey. And her brother, Willie, uh, witness what later transpires to be their mother and her lover kind of, I guess, kind of getting ready to have sex or do some weird bondage type shit, I guess. With tights on his head or pantyhose, as they call it in America, but weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> yeah. And they notice that these kids are spying on them and they tie Willie up. And then Lacey sets him free. He and she gets him a knife. And he essentially kills the lover in front of the mirror. Yeah, it does. So this mirror then gets uh, possessed from that, I guess. S somehow, yeah, as you do, you know. <laughs> Tenuous link there. <laughs> yeah, I, I say this film, again, similar to The Evil Dead, there's a lot of stuff which is very irrational that happens in this, which is very Euro-horror. So yeah, so you, you know the fact you've got a mirror where if you kill someone in front of it, sort of I don't know if it's the spirit of the d the dead boyfriend now is in the mirror or evil is in the mirror just generally or yeah. I don't know. It's so fucking weird. Probably evil, I think. Yeah, a bit like again like Amityville, evil house, evil happenings, whatever. But yeah, it doesn't really make that much sense, but you just kind of accept it. It is what it is. Just general evil investing the mirror. Yeah, and um Oli Lomel gives his wife a starring role in this film, like Rob Zombie does. 
your favourite. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, Susanna Love, who plays the main character, Lacey, she is, as you said, Mrs. Uli Lamel at this point. And she not only is the main character, she also co-wrote the film with Lamel. So she was very, very heavily involved in it. Some of her acting is not all that good, particularly uh, at one point near the beginning when she's having a flashback um, consists of her making very funny faces. <laughs> So it's much like your opinion of uh, Sherry Moon Zombie with Rob Zombie is that the acting's not the best, but because she's the wife of the director, that's why she's in it. Well, there you go. So <laughs> if you're if you're a, a struggling jobbing actress out there, just meet someone famous who's a director, marry them, and they'll put you in all their films. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Greg. That's your uh, future career sorted. Exactly. I just need to meet a famous woman now. That's great. It'll put me in all her films. <laughs> yeah um so she's so, all yeah, right i mean she's right. she, she kind of suits yeah. this film doesn't she yeah she's not horrible at all she's just uh yeah there's a couple of Average. parts in it yeah there's a couple of parts in it that just were questionable um there's a scene well, i'll jump ahead a little bit um there's a scene where because this film is a weird mishmash of ideas um, she goes and sees, I guess, a psychiatrist or a hypnotherapist who's played by John Carradine, who is in about a million horror films in like the 60s and 70s and earlier than that. Um, he's kind of one of those sort of bit part actors who was famous in the very early days of Hollywood cinema. And then he was just doing anything just to work and get money. It's like as appearing in films like this for like five minutes. And <laughs> yeah, she becomes possessed for some reason <laughs> and then makes weird faces when she's doing that as well so strange uh anyway <laughs> so i mean let's tackle the deaths because they are actually quite interesting and different and household objects like i say so the very first death is the creepy boyfriend of the mother with tights on his head stabbed by the little kid willie yeah so then it kind of goes to 20 years later and i think this willie character doesn't he eternally just wear dungarees like he did as a kid <laughs> yes <laughs> and he becomes mute which is quite important to the story and he starts acting very weird he's like he's got ptsd or something i suppose <laughs> well yeah i think that's what they were intending which post-traumatic stress disorder yeah which kind of comes out in terms of him owning very weird pets like a spider and a snake i guess or it's kind of creepy isn't it (laughs) yeah or him strangling a woman who just randomly wants to have sex with him (laughs) must be his dungarees (laughs) yeah who's come to pick up eggs um he's like oh i see you in church you're really sexy even though you don't talk i like that so okay i mean i don't really talk very much either and it doesn't happen to me that way so if only life was that easy what can i say (laughs) oh yeah well i mean he just uh keeps refreshing the pair of dungarees that he's got and going up a size so life's easy for him you know definitely um so yeah so outfit on point (laughs) yeah so he almost kills this woman by strangling her and nothing ever came of it so obviously she didn't call the police or anything to say hi i was almost killed by this mute man when his dungarees you know so i don't know maybe she's into that (laughs) maybe maybe she is some people are anyway so that's so that's 20 years later isn't it and but um 
Then, um, so who's the next death? I've got here noted, girl in bathroom with possessed scissors, as you do. <laughs> yeah, so what happens, and this makes literally no sense, and this is one of these things you have to kind of accept in horror, is that, you know, she gets a letter from her mum. It's like, I'm going to die. I haven't seen you for 20 years. Please come and visit me. Which they never do, incidentally. <laughs> um, so that's pointless. Um, her husband has this great idea of like, let's go to this house where you grew up and we'll kind of exercise these like problems that you've got. And so they go to this house and there's three people living there. So there's two sisters and a younger brother who goes, Boogeyman! Like that. Through a window. <laughs> yes. And, and then gets killed by said window. <laughs> yes, which is hilarious. When it crushes his head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Lacey, um, basically, she smashes up this mirror that's evil and possessed. And the husband has a great idea of like, no, no, what we're going to do is I'm going to take all the pieces of this mirror back to our house. And I'm going to put them back together again. Because that makes sense, doesn't it? And yeah, yeah so so weird as if you would ever do that. You'd probably just sweep it up and put it in the bin. Let's face yeah, it. that's what a normal person would do. So I'm really sorry. I've just broken your priceless antique mirror. You know, hey. <laughs> um, but anyway, how it works is the mirror itself is possessed, and it shows its evil by flashing red and breathing really heavily. <laughs> Because it's an invisible boogie man, you know. Yeah, exactly. And because there's a tiny little piece of this mirror left at the house, now the evil has been unleashed, yes, all three people at this house get killed. So the first one is one of the sisters. Um, she stabs herself in the neck with a pair of scissors. Mm-hmm. Possessed scissors. Then there's the death by window boy um, who puts his head through and says boogie man and then it closes on him, which no, is funny. He puts his head through and goes boogie man, like that. Yeah, and then it closes and crushes him. So yes. good riddance to that guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, got death number four here. Um, girl gets attacked by a bathroom cupboard. Yeah, so it's not really clear how she dies, but we assume she does. Um, we get a first-person perspective. She's in the bathroom looking at the mirror, and the bathroom cabinet door opens and there's fire coming from the piece of the mirror or something like that in the sink. Very weird. And we assume she's dead. Yeah. Um, doesn't really show you her dying, so it's not clear. But yeah, we assume she died. And then there's a late scene in a car where there's a guy called Andy and he ends up getting kind of stabbed in the mouth. Yeah, so this is what I was talking about in like how this is similar to a slasher film in that they introduce four teenagers. I use the word teenagers in inverted commas because uh, they're clearly not teenagers, but they, uh, the characters are teenagers. The actors yeah. look as if they're probably in their mid-20s. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, two of them die in a car somehow. So his girlfriend joins him to see what he's doing in the car and then she sort of leans over and then goes to kiss him and kind of falls onto the knife which is protruding from his mouth so they both die that way. Yeah, which is mm. kind of silly, I'm not going to lie, because like, how could you not see a giant knife sticking out the back of someone's head? Really? Yeah, and it just kind of looks like they're kissing in the car so yeah. everyone else is like unaware, so it's it's pretty silly. Uh, she's called Jenny, and then there's a scene where Ernest dies with a pitchfork, which I think is like one of the better-known deaths in this film. 
Yeah. yeah, going back to Andy, like the the guy's death is if his name is Andy. Yeah, that was quite brutal. I did quite like that one. That one worked quite well. Um, pitchfork death. We don't actually see Ernest is the name of the character. Um, we don't actually see him die, so I cannot comment if it is in fact better or worse than the pitchfork death in the Slayer that I keep <laughs> referring to. Um, we need to turn that into a T-shirt, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's a Helen, an older woman who's strangled with the garden hose. So yeah. again, common host household implements. <laughs> and then really what happens for the last sort of 15 or 20 minutes of the film is the film goes absolutely insane. It's like <laughs> completely batshit mental. Um, so Lacey becomes possessed again. This is where like the film becomes very similar to The Exorcist because... Basically, they call, there's a reverend, because they go to church very near the start of the film. They call a reverend, and somehow, because he's a reverend, he can perform exorcisms or remove possessed sort of spirits from people's bodies. I guess that's kind of part of your training when you join the priesthood, I guess. Um, Yeah. And then, yeah, he comes over, and they have some kind of weird sort of supernatural battle where he kind of just generally sticks a crucifix up every now and again to try and fight this, (laughs) this demon. You've got this down. You could do that job. <laughs> yeah, it looks quite easy, actually. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> My notes on this scene is cheesy but okay, low budget. <laughs> <laughs> cheesy but okay. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> damning the faint praise there. Um, it's kind of cheesy, but I don't know. I've got Carpenter-style music like Halloween 3 noted. Yeah, I thought the music. I thought the music was all right. It kind of reminded me of Tubular Bells. Like it's a bit of a rip off of that, which again ties into the whole Exorcist theme. But yeah, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, totally agree on the Exorcist theme sort of thing. Uh, maybe Poltergeist as well a bit. Uh, yeah, although Poltergeist would be after this. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's like two. Uh, yeah, Poltergeist is two years later. So yeah. Um. Bunch of random stuff happens, like the husband's eyes start bleeding at one point. Um, Lacey starts levitating. Um, stuff starts happening, and they throw the mirror down a well. Yeah, this is all very bizarre. Yeah, and then that shard of mirror keeps popping up every now and again in ridiculous places, like on the bottom of someone's shoe, like it would just be stuck there and still intact after they've walked around. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just like the reverend slash priest at the end, he gets stabbed by many implements and dies. So he's death number nine. So it's quite action packed, but like I say, it's cheap, fairly cheesy film, but likable. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. It's sort of a bit unsure as to what it is. Uh, narrative's a bit padded out, like with various scenes that probably don't really need to be there, don't add anything to the central story. It's kind of, it's not boring. I've got to say that it's at least all this weird stuff happens enough to keep it sort of watchable. It's not very long. It's only about 80 minutes, which is the best length for these kind of films. Um, yeah, I just, I thought it was quite fun. I thought it was a enjoyable piece of hokum, I would say. <laughs> hokum. I like that word. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got very little more to say on this. It's all right. I'm, quite, I'm glad that I watched it. I wouldn't have watched it if it hadn't been for the show, to be fair. I had kind of heard of it, because there was another film, like, 
fairly modern one that was made under the same name. I think it's nothing like that, but they just were inspired by the name, probably. Um, so I'd heard of this, you know, 1980 version and had intended on watching it, but hadn't got round to it. So I'm kind of glad that I've seen it now, just for historical purposes. Uh, for me, not a video nasty. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm glad that the show is at least making you watch uh, these films, whether or not that's a, a good thing for like your overall kind of film knowledge or not. Who's to say, really? Re research, Greg, it's research. It's all research, exactly. <laughs> um, not video nasty at all. I'm not sure why this was on the list. Might be for the fact that you've got some quite violent deaths. The one with the scissors is quite violent. The one with the knife through the back of the head is quite violent. So, but... I think yeah. possibly like the first sort of 10, 15 minutes of the film might have made them ban it just with the kind of sexual element of the boyfriend of the mum and the kid walking in with him with the tights on his head and then stabbing him. Like that's quite sinister as sort of a main part of the plot. So even if somebody just watched the first 15 minutes and then they knew there was a lot of death in this film, it's just like they would have announced it banned from that back then probably just you know pigeonholed it with everything else but it's actually not very offensive no watch it all no it really isn't and it is available right now from 88 films on dvd so if you uh like the sound of this you want to see it good quality version that's the way to go i would say um yeah if you want to just you know watch something with your mates where you want to just get drunk um have a good time it's not a shit film it's pretty good um, not amazing, but if you want to have a good time, you know, hey, it's good for that, I would say. Yeah, I don't own this on DVD. I'm probably never going to watch this again. <laughs> uh, there you go. But you saw it, haven't you, for the show, and it adds to your overall experience on the Earth, so hey. Indeed. Now, so that's The Boogeyman. Now, interestingly, um, this was uh, followed up by a film called Revenge of the Boogeyman, or Revenge of the Bogeyman or Boogeyman 2, or indeed Bogeyman 2, depending on what you want to call this, what your preference is. Um, and interestingly, this is the only example of a sequel to an original, both being on the Video Nasties list. So, yeah. What to say about this one? Well, Rhea, can you give us a synopsis first of all? I can indeed. So, Revenge of the Boogeyman, or Boogeyman 2, is a 1983 film. So, uh, three years apart. And the synopsis, Lacey travels to Hollywood to the home of a film director where she brings along the last surviving haunted mirror shard from the end of the first movie as proof to her horrifying experiences. So she's trying to make it as an actress and Uli Lamel is actually in this as the creepy Hollywood director which is so weird and i would say about two-thirds of this film is flashback to the first film and incredibly lazy so if you watch this film essentially you're watching the first and the second film together which is rather disappointing <laughs> yeah so have you ever seen this in a film before where it's literally recycled so much to the first film yeah and um didn't we review something else where we did see a lot of flashback yeah, yeah. I mean, in like sort of Hellraiser, uh, Hellbound Hellraiser uh, 2, they. Yeah, there was flashback. a lot of that. Well, that's only like for a minute or so. 
just to kind of catch people up. And I've seen it in like the Friday the 13th sequels as well, where, because you got to remember, this is a day before home video. So they had to kind of remind people of what happened in the previous film in case they forgot. Not that there's really a lot to forget. They couldn't recap themselves, yeah. Yeah, so like, for example, at the start of, you know, Friday the 13th part three, they show you literally the last three minutes or so of Friday the 13th part two. So Mm. stuff like that. Um, However, in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, there's actually even more recycled footage. um, Because if you make the mistake that I did of watching Silent Night, Deadly Night, and then watching Silent Night, Deadly 2 straight afterwards, I'm like, well, I've already seen this. And by the time (laughs) you skip through all the original footage, you're about halfway into the film and like nothing's happened. So... (laughs) It's so lazy. It's the laziest thing I can think of doing. And there is basically no excuse for it. It is just pure laziness. Yeah, so damn lazy. So I did actually read up that Uli Lamel got an offer to have this made by a a fairly large film production company, but he decided to do it independently at his own house. Can't figure out which company it was, actually, but... It's weird that he had that offer and then he decides to make it himself. <laughs> yeah, which kind of makes you wonder kind of what he was thinking as such. Because, yeah, Boogeyman, it was, say, it was okay. And he had, like, interesting ideas that could have maybe gone into another film. Um, now, Lamel, I don't really know 100% of the directorial credit is for this. Because if you look up this film, it's credited to both Bruce Starr and Lamel. Now, Lamel obviously directed the first film, so he directed all that stuff, which mm-hmm. I think you're being... A, it depends on what version of this film you watch. I think you're being a little bit harsh. It, I wouldn't say it's two-thirds. I would say it's maybe a third of the version <laughs> that I saw, which is, like, you know, still about half an hour worth of footage, which is way too much, you know, and you're literally seeing all the highlights from the first film, so... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So it's very lazy. And again, you got Susanna Love playing Lacey. Um, I think she was still married to Lamel at this point. So, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I would say this film, if even if you ignore the fact that it's a lot of recycled footage, it's still pretty shit. It is. I mean, I it, would it, say. it feels like your typical driving sort of American exploitation flick. Uh, it was probably suitable for that, you know. <laughs> That's probably what they had it for. They probably showed it at the drive-through, uh, at the drive-in, and um, yeah, it's just more common household objects murdering people again. So a few more. I actually counted that there were twelve deaths, but some of those are flashbacks. So there are nine new deaths in this film, but then they reuse some from the original. Yeah, um, I've seen like reviews of this where they try and say that like what Lamel's doing is like well this is a criticism of Hollywood like this is a big old critique of like you know Hollywood and the filmmaking process and things like that because you have this scene because most of the film seems to take place at this party where mm-hmm. Lamel's playing a director and he's trying to make a film based on the life of Lacey or he wants to do it because he meets Lacey and all these people come over, I think are supposed to be stereotypes of people who work in the film business, but Mm -hmm. it just comes across as so hackneyed that, (laughs) you know, it's like, what is going on here? Like, this is just, it's either too subtle for most people to get, 
or it's not subtle enough because at one point he's reading a book called Hollywood Babylon, which I think is a book about um, Hollywood in the 40s and 50s or something like that. I could be wrong about that. But <laughs> yeah, and all these characters are so interchangeable. I didn't really know who any of them were. So when they were all dying, I was like, "Who's that? who was that again? Because <laughs> it's very hard to follow because none of them are given names, really. I think one of them is like a sleazy producer. You've got a bimbo actress. Um, you've got this, I don't know, all these people are supposed to be like representative of like Hollywood insiders, but they're just so indistinguishable from each other that mm. it became impossible to follow after a while, other than the fact they were dying in really stupid ways. So... I can only imagine it was banned because of the footage from the first film and not because of anything that was added to this later. Um, no. And it was uh, banned after it was released, but then it was subsequ subsequently pulled from distribution upon Lamel's request and was never resubmitted to the BBFC. So, uh, I mean... Because it was so shit, probably. Probably. He's probably... Uh, embarrassed but uh, he did retain his artistic freedom by not having somebody else um you know direct and produce this <laughs> but it wasn't the best film let's just say that <laughs> no the only real highlights are sort of the ridiculous ways that people die which are hard to see because the version that we saw is very very ropey in terms yeah. of picture quality so i did did have to wind that back to see some key scenes but i do have some quite uh hilarious deaths noted down which will be fun to talk about so i mean we flash back and we see like several deaths from the first film but the nine new ones that we have it, it kicks off with like a shaky bottle of shampoo in the shower which is head and shoulders quite visible on the label so <laughs> possible sponsorship there <laughs> which which kind of floats around and then um this particular girl i think it's a girl in the bathroom she um is killed deaf by electric toothbrush which is <laughs> so ridiculous i'm sorry so hilarious and then there's something after that there's a woman who dies or deaf by shaving foam which is the most ridiculous <laughs> kind of gets shaving foam squirted in her mouth and I presume she dies from that going into into her insides. I mean, she drowns. So, death by shaving foam, anyone? <laughs> That's the second death. Um, and then there's like a man, Then they're in a garage and there's a man that stands up in a car and he kind of goes through the car roof um, and dies. And then there's a woman who is his, his girlfriend, I think, in the garage at the same time and she like gets slapped on the bum with a pair of ladders which knocks her into the car and then she kind of ends up with her mouth around the exhaust of the car which is just so unlikely and she dies by I presume exhaust fumes and the physical impact of um, effectively wrapping her mouth around an exhaust pipe yeah it <laughs> makes you uh, look at deep throat in a whole new light <laughs> That's essentially what she's doing, deep throating an exhaust pipe. <laughs> uh, the, then there's a guy, deaf by corkscrew to head, which is kind of creative and silly. So that would be the fifth deaf, the fifth new one. And then there's a woman um, with some ice cube grabbers, those kind of um, metal um, pincers that you pick up things with. 
um, from an ice, from an ice bucket. She gets killed with a set of those. That's death number six. Then there are two girls tied up with a hose pipe inside the house who are both just dead. And then three people fall in the pool, but um, only uh, one of them drowns. A guy drowns. So then that totals nine new deaths. So I think that's correct as far as I can see. I mean, it's not really detectable online because nobody has deemed this film worthy of summarising on the internet in terms of the deaths. <laughs> Which tells you a lot, it has to be said. Yeah, nobody was bothered to uh, record that. <laughs> no. I mean, Except us, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apart from us, obviously. Um, yeah, we, we, we're doing God's work, everybody. <laughs> what again watching these so you guys don't have to <laughs> yeah although i mean as we've kind of already intonated i mean this film is not available on the uk in the version that we saw it in there is a version available on dvd but apparently there's a different version of this film which is like a director's cut which has got even more recycled footage from the first film and has footage of like lamel talking to the camera giving an interview or something Oh um, god, I don't holy know. shit. It, it's apparently like worse than this. Sounds yeah. like we've missed a gem there. Also, in case anybody was wondering, Greg is actually a cat dad and his cat is now calling out to him. <laughs> I can hear yes. it in the background. Oh dear. Well, Apologies yeah. for the interruptions. <laughs> yes. So our cat. Hi, Mishka. Um, so, I mean, really, there isn't really much more to say about this. This film... Is it? I'm going to just come out and say, is this the worst film that we've seen from this series? Well, I, so when I did try to research this online to see if anybody else had recorded these deaths so I could check it, because it is quite difficult to see everything with the low-quality version that we watched, which is actually available on YouTube if anybody wants to see that, um, which was taken from Betamax, I believe, copy, which oh, is interesting. God. Yeah, it's like the Betamax version then digitised and put on YouTube for everybody to see as quote-unquote research. <laughs> so um, it's deemed on a review that I found, a very vague review, that it's um, possibly the most unwatchable or skippable video nasty thus far. So God knows how many video nasties this person had watched by the time they had reviewed that one. But I mean I still think what was that what was that really awful one that we said we hated the most? Um so that's the ghastly ones I think you're thinking. Yeah. Of. I think that's still the worst to be fair. What do you think? Um it's very hard because it's between this, the ghastly ones, and Frozen Scream that yeah. I would say. Frozen Scream is at least funny in places, so it's kind of got that going for it. Well, um, I found well. this one more watchable than both of those other two, so I'm going to say the ghastly ones is still the worst one for me. <laughs> yeah, pretty difficult to top that, in fairness. Although, uh, who knows? Like By the time we get to the end, you know, may have changed my mind on review. But not likely. Um, a couple of things that I just wanted to quickly get in there, get my shit in before we kind of wrap this one up. Um, <laughs> a couple of things really annoyed me about this one. So the first thing is, at one point, there's a character that badmouths the film Blowout by Brian De Palma, which is a great film. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's John Travolta. Um, he plays like a Hollywood sound man. Um, he's out recording for like a Foley track, which for anyone who doesn't know, is basically the sound effects that they use in films. 
that they put on the soundtrack and someone's car kind of drives off and it turns out that there's been like some kind of political assassination it's a really good film and De Palma is great uh, he's one of my favorite directors um, so the fact that in the script for this film like Lamel decided to badmouth De Palma he can go fuck himself as far as I'm concerned um, <laughs> nicely done <laughs> yeah basically rule of thumb is never badmouth anyone who's more talented than you basically in your film that's kind of what i would say and second of all the ending of this film is so fucking stupid i can't even be bothered to discuss it but basically it involves a car exploding it made literally no sense i was just bewildered by it and really that's really a general kind of feeling i had throughout the whole film because i had no idea what was going on for a lot of the time it's just lazy didn't really make a lot of sense it's just a piece of shit really yeah, it's one of the worst, and usually that piece of goddamn mirror ends up turning up either in someone's eye or on the bottom of someone's shoe, which would have consequently been cracked when walking on, but somehow it's still perfectly intact and gleaming in the sun, which is fairly irritating. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, they could have done another sequel. You reckon? Well... hope not. They left it open for another sequel, but I don't think they did in the end, which is probably for the best. Have you seen that modern film, The Boogeyman? No, but I know what you're talking about. And it's kind of one of these things where, yeah, it's just called The Boogeyman, but it's not anything to do with the Lamel film at all. Um, doesn't look like it'd be the sort of thing I enjoy. I've made my feelings for the 2000s in terms of horror very well known on this show. So, yeah. yeah. Looks fairly generic, 2005, so... Uh, possibly better than this film, which isn't difficult to do, but... No, oh well. I would assume it's better than this, but, you know, that's like saying that syphilis is better than gonorrhea, or, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm assuming that this is unanimous from both of us. This is not a video nasty, you guys. Uh, fuck no. Um, indeed, not a video nasty. Um, if the first one wasn't a video nasty, unless you are offended by people being killed by an electric toothbrush... Or, you know, shaving foam, as you said. So, yeah. <laughs> no, a not to, video what, nasty. What a way to go. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. I, hope, I hope to go in a similar way when it's my time. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so um, probably no real point asking what our favourite film was on the show today. It was The Evil Dead, because it's great. <laughs> amazing film if you haven't seen this it is a staple watch for horror fans you must watch it go away and watch it as soon as possible yeah although i mean in my opinion boogeyman is still you know it's still worth watching as well it's fun it's okay um so yeah so that's been the show today um first one of 2018 i've had a lot of fun with this one i hope you guys have as well um so mm -hmm. this is the lament configuration um you can find us on facebook under that name you can find us on twitter at lament horror um you if you are listening to this right now you are either listening to us on itunes which is great please rate us five stars um if you're listening to us on youtube hey awesome please subscribe to our page because you know looking in 2018 to put up you know more videos um some cool stuff some cool extras that you won't get on itunes um you might be listening to us on TuneIn radio or indeed you might be listening to us on podbean if you are awesome thank you very much for the support 
Yeah, thanks for all the um, supporters and subscribers that we got from around the world, Japan, America, um, all across Europe. It's really amazing to see. Um, I've been Rhea Fend, your resident body count girl. I'm available on Facebook on my public modeling page, Rhea Fend, F-E-N-D, and on Instagram and Twitter at Rhea underscore Fend. Um, as I say, um, we're, you know, we've got loads of plans for 2018, including continuing through the video nasties because we're troopers like that um and how far do you think we are now greg i mean we're doing fairly well here yeah so we've done 42 so far so we've got another 30 to go most of which are pretty good i'm not gonna lie um so hopefully you guys really enjoy that if you've been following the series i've deliberately held back some of the better ones um so it wasn't just a case of we'll do all the good ones first and leave the shit ones to the end i've I think i've spread them out quite nicely um and uh indeed uh thank you to our japanese listeners i say arigato gozaimasu um, for listening <laughs> and uh we will see you next time bye bye everybody somewhere in the dark and nasty regions where nobody goes stands an ancient castle deep within this dank and uninviting place lives burke hello Overworked servant of the thing upstairs. But that's nothing compared to the horrors that lurk beneath the trap door. For there is always something down there in the dark waiting to come out.